Ben Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much. Maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. Welcome back to the Shift to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Ben Easter. Today, I'm joined by both my co-hosts, Paige Easter and Clayton Olson. Today, we're going to have a conversation I think is going to be uh, incredibly practical for people. We're going to be talking about uh, the Enneagram and how to use the Enneagram in our lives. I'm really excited because, Clayton, uh, you are kind of an authority on it. You you, you use a lot of... <laughs> a lot of the Enneagram in your coaching practice and you're uh, you just, you, you have a really great and practical way of talking about it. So I thought we could come on and have you share with people how you think about it, how you use it in your coaching practice and how the Enneagram kind of works in the world so that people can use it to cultivate their own freedom in the world. Cool. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I don't, uh, I don't have a self-proclaimed title of being an authority on it. I feel like it's a work in progress. The system is so deep and so complex. Um, but I'm definitely on the path of continually dancing with it and understanding it on deeper and deeper levels. So I'm happy to share uh, what I know about it so far. Yeah. And I, uh, I really appreciate the, every time I've heard you talk about it, I really get a lot of value out of it. And that's kind of what I meant when I hear. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit, just like high level overview. If, if somebody's like, what Enneagram, I've never even heard of that. How would you describe what the Enneagram is Clayton? Yeah. So I would almost call the Enneagram like an anti-personality test uh, or anti-personality typing system where you might have things like astrology, Myers-Briggs, Strengths Finders uh, that in some ways put people in a bit of a box and, and tell you who you are and what your strengths are and uh, kind of the, the lane that you're in. Yeah, and I think that's one of the big criticisms for like Myers-Briggs, for instance, that you hear from people is that it, it becomes like prescriptive, not just descriptive. Yeah. And I think that what I've seen a lot of pushback from is when, uh, and, and I've noticed this with clients, when I talk about this personality test, uh, they're afraid of being put in a box and hmm. saying, you know, I'm, I'm far more uh, unique and, and I'm an individual. And, you know, I feel like I, I can't really be put in a box or there's a way that we're simplifying something that is just too difficult to simplify and what I'll say about the Enneagram, which I really love about it, is that we can explore it from the place of looking at it, that it's actually a trance that people fall into at a, and there's, it's arguably whether, you know, you're kind of born into it, um, whether it's nature or whether it's nurture, whether, rather something happens when you're little that then has you create this compensatory structure, AKA personality to survive and make sense of situations that happen when you were little. And the Enneagram is designed to distinguish these different boxes that people inevitably put themselves in to be a functioning member of society. And uh, the aim of the Enneagram is to distinguish the box that you might be in so that you can create 
freedom in your life and actually not be constrained by it any longer. So I actually think the Enneagram is a great topic for today, just given to shift the freedom, the shift to freedom podcast and this kind of this search for freedom, this movement to freedom. So that's what the Enneagram is truly about. Yeah, I love that. Actually, that distinction between and that's one of the things I think is really unique about the Enneagram, just to expand on what you're saying is that there's like, there is the kind of the personality that you show up as, and then there's like your true essence as a human. And I think that the, the purpose of the, uh, of the assessment and then the tool as a whole is to help you move more into that essential identification with that, like essential self or that, like, um, you know, your higher self, you might call it, or that like God consciousness, other traditions might call it or whatever. Um, I think that might be a good place. There's this quote that I really wanted to read from the the founder of uh, the Enneagram, who is uh, named Oscar Ichazo. But uh, this quote, I think, really sums up this quite nicely. We have to distinguish between a man as he is in essence and as he is in ego or personality. In essence, every person is perfect, fearless, and in a loving unity with the entire cosmos. There's no conflict within the person between head, heart, and stomach, or between the person and others. Then something happens. The ego begins to develop. Karma accumulates. There's a transition from objectivity to subjectivity. Man falls from essence into personality. Yeah. And I just think that that's like such a beautiful way of describing this tool, the Enneagram tool as distinct from like a Myers-Briggs typology or um, even astrology where you're kind of like describing how people are. Um, this, this is so much of a, more of a tool for like becoming your true self, I think. And that's like what all of the different parts of it, as I can understand, go toward. Does that land with you as well? Yes. I have a, I have a question about that because I'm, I'm not feeling clear still about how other personality assessments have a tendency to like put people in a box or become prescriptive versus descriptive. But it also seems like Enneagram, there are nine types in essentially like nine different boxes. So how is it different? Yeah. Yeah. So imagine the Enneagram number as uh, something that's basically saying, this is the dream that you're currently having. And it's not the reality of who you are. It's, it's a, it's a trance that you bought into at a young age. And perhaps the spiritual development of your life is to wake up from this trance. So it's not to justify it. It's not to stay in the trance. It's to actually see the trance for what it is and to begin to realize that you are not that thing. You are, you are not your personality. You are not this constellation of beliefs and stories about who you think you are, you're something deeper, you're something else, you're something that might be actually ineffable, something maybe sourced from pure freedom. And so the Enneagram is just designed to begin to show the, the box that you're ultimately trying to move away from, where my understanding of Myers-Briggs and some of the other personality typing systems is they're, they're describing who you are, not so that you can escape it, but so that you can uh, more or less understand your personality better and then maybe pick career paths or communication styles that um, are in line with that. Yeah. And you can do that with the Enneagram as well. But at the deepest level, I don't believe the Enneagram is designed for that. Yeah, I think it really does land. And what I'm understanding that what you're saying is that whereas a Myers-Briggs or other personality assessments are kind of giving us clues to how we are, 
so that we can lean into our strengths or our tendencies more. And Enneagram is showing us kind of the trick of the mind that we've played to put us in a box and what the path to getting out of that box is. So and I have a follow-up question, though, because couldn't we say that all personality assessments, we can take them all with a grain of salt and kind of use it as a tool for self-reflection and kind of take what works and leave what doesn't? Or, or would you say maybe like Enneagram would also kind of be an exception to that? I think we should take every personality assessment with a grain of salt. And I think we can use every personality test as a tool for assessment. Yeah, just a lens for looking. And, you know, it's like... Mm -hmm take what works and use that and discard the rest and, you know, whatever. I mean, you're not going to fit perfectly into any of the boxes. <clears throat> what I, what I think is different and maybe check me on this Clayton, but what I think is different about the Enneagram as opposed to those other tools is that the Enneagram is not just the box, but it's also like a prescription for how to see the, to notice the box mm -hmm. and then uh, for sort of even development into maybe other boxes and yeah. the way, the ways that those things work. Whereas mm -hmm. the, these other tools, they don't necessarily have kind of a, I think astrology at a, at its deepest levels. And for people who really understand it also does this, but it's more like in the, in the scale of lifetimes. Mm -hmm. um, but with the Enneagram, it's more like, uh, what I really like, actually, this is one of my favorite things about it is it's more like a spiral staircase. So like there is no, one like best number or place to get it's like each trance or number kind mm -hmm. of has has another number that when it's operating at its best it starts to look like and another number that when it's like sort of operating at its worst it starts to look like what it degrades mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. um and so like is this kind of spiral this infinite spiral staircase um from personality quote-unquote type to personality type yeah yeah and i'll say this too i mean my my first introduction to the enneagram was um through a uh, one of my good friends, Jack Butler, and uh, who really who really painted the path for me, and I have stuck with it ever since, just to continually diving deeper into it. And my first introduction to it, it was painful. It wasn't like I read my my type, you know, and was like, oh, you know, this is like Taurus, or you know, I'm an uh, ENTJ on Myers Briggs. This I read it, and as I got deeper into my number, it felt like somebody had opened up my journal and wrote down some of my deepest insecurities and thoughts and the things that I struggle with, the things that I am trying to work on. And it just made those visible for me. So the Enneagram really shows you, in, it, it puts you into contact with the underbelly of some of the worst aspects of what it is to be human. And so it, if I always say when I'm working with a client and it's like, they're trying to determine their number. It's almost like which number triggers you the most as you're reading it. Like if you've got to decide between one, three numbers, it's like, which one is the most triggering that when you read it, you're like, ah, oh, God, like, you know, and if, depending on how self-reflective you are, you might be like, God, that really hits and that sucks. Or it might even be like, God, I'm not like that because some of it is really, uh, it's, it's gritty. It's gritty. It shows you the ways in which you really limit yourself in relationships and leadership, um, in life. Yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. When I first took it, I assessed at a seven and I think that that's what I really want to be. Mm. But I am a two and I still like, as you're saying that, I'm like, yeah. oh, I just, oh, sevens <laughs> are so much cooler. And then I married a seven. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and sevens are not that cool at all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> sevens and twos can often mistype. They can often go back and forth. Yeah. Um, which is pretty common. Um, 
And you know what we can do here at this point, if for anybody that's listening, we can start to bring it into, and I, I can happy to give a, a brief overview of, of each of the types, just kind of go through them rather quickly. And then that way the listener can start to just notice, you know, what box they might fall into. And then we can decide where do we want to go from there. We can talk about our own box. We can talk about more practical applications. What do you guys think about that? I, I love that. Yeah, if you just do a quick overview, I think that would be really easy. I have, I have a question just kind of yeah. around practicality again, because one of the things that has been holding me back from really getting familiar with Enneagram is that there are nine types. And so I feel curious about if, if we're talking about it practically, mm. it seems like that there are so many personality types is kind of a barrier to diving in. And so maybe you can shed some light on a different way to think about that or a different way to use it. Like as you go through them, are there ways for you to remember them or are there? That's not what I'm asking. I'm, I'm more, I'm feeling curious about like, I guess, would it be okay if, because I think with a lot of personality assessments, if I don't understand all the personalities within the framework, I'm not able to like relate to other people or understand like who they are and then how to Mm -hmm. interrelate with them. I mean, would it be okay to just figure out what your type is and only study that? Like, would that make it? I'm just curious about like accessibility because it seems overwhelming to me. Yeah, beautiful question. So I think from my personal experience, understanding your type inside and out is the place to start. Because as you change your relationship with yourself and get some of these limiting patterns out of the way that do obstruct you from making contact with other people or authentic uh, contact with the work that you're doing, uh, your relationships with everyone around you will actually start to change. Now, uh, secondary, as you learn about other personality types, uh, you know, especially the ones that matter in your life, like you knowing that Ben is a seven and him knowing that you are a two is incredibly valuable because then you can begin to, when Ben may do something that is uh, kind of disintegrated in the seven, uh, you can you don't have to take it personally. And that's when I think is one of the most practical applications of this. When you know someone's type and you know how they're showing up uh, in their personality, you can disidentify from thinking it means something about you. Like, oh, they're mm. doing this, because, you know, the, for instance, if they're an eight, which is the, um, what is it, the, the challenger, uh, you might think, okay, in am I feeling dominated because it has to do with my weakness or something? Like, am I being dominated or controlled by this person because they don't trust me? And it's like, oh, wait, this is just actually an artifact of the eight personality. This is just how they move through the world. And they do this probably with everybody. So now knowing that, how can I choose to cleanly interact with this person to create the result that I'm looking for, to create the intimacy that I'm looking for? Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. That's really helpful. So what I heard you say, Clayton was like, basically start with yourself. Yeah. Really come to understand if if you're interested in this, if this lands with you, if it resonates and you want to use this as a tool, start with yourself, really understand yourself and then start with your closest, maybe relationship in your life. And then from there, maybe to your second closest relationship and then start to become just aware of the, the really close circle and use that as the sort of entry point into getting to know yeah. The tool as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my thought, my opinion on it too, is like, you know, you, you get really clear on your place. That's, that's 80% of the value of this thing, right? Cause okay. each type is so deep it's, and it's so beautiful and, and tragic simultaneously. It really is. It's, uh, uh, it's so wild. Um, and that might encourage a more inspired exploration, long-term marathon explanation, exploration of the other parts. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. So maybe you could go through then now that, 
that high level overview and give us the walkthrough? The- sure. Okay, great. Okay, so we've got nine points. And if you look up the Enneagram online, you'll, you can find these descriptions if you want to dive into each one uh, uh, more deeply. I'm just going to do a, a brief overview. I uh, imagine it's a, it's a nine pointed star actually with a triangle in the, in the middle of it. Uh, and the numbers are on all of the different points. And so we're going to just start with number one. So the one is the perfectionist or the reformer. Uh, their motivations, they have a desire to be good, to be right, and to be just. Uh, their strengths are they have high standards. They have a strong sense of responsibility and ethics. Now, the challenges that this type runs into is that they can be really critical and judgmental of themselves and others, and they're prone to perfectionism. Um, you know, a lot of the clients that I've worked with, uh, they tend to be uh, police officers. They might be a lawyer. They could be a ballerina. Like the, these kind of people almost like sort themselves into different roles in life where they get to express and use their personality type uh, to really um, find find something, find work that's in line with how they're already operating. Um, move on to number two. Number two is the helper or the giver. Motivations, they are, uh, they have a desire to be loved and needed and their strengths are they're empathetic, they're generous and they're caring. And their challenges can be that they have a difficulty in setting boundaries and they can be prone to manipulating people or people pleasing. Okay. Uh, often I've found it, uh, nurses and people that are kind of in these helping professions to fall into uh, twos. There's other ones as well. Uh, number three, the achiever or the performer. Uh, they have a desire to be successful and to be admired. Uh, their strengths are they're ambitious, they're confident, and they're adaptable. Okay, but the tendency, the challenge is they have a tendency to prioritize image over authenticity, and they can be prone to workaholism or burnout and self-deception. So threes typically, you know, you might see somebody who's like, they can be uh, movie stars. They can be really like uh, people that are in the sales profession as well, because there's a way in which they orient towards like really creating a result through uh, performance. Number four is the individualist or the romantic. They have a desire to be unique and authentic and their strengths are they're creative, they're sensitive, and they're very introspective. And they can be prone to self-absorption and feelings of inadequacy or envy. And they don't like to take the Enneagram because it puts them in a box. That's exactly <laughs> it. A lot of the fours, you know, if you're a four and you're listening, one of the things that you might be experiencing is that there's like no way you can be put in a box because of the unique nature. So often fours, I have a real aversion to the Enneagram. And then when you start reading more about the four, I've had some fours come in contact with it and it it really can just nail them down. And it it doesn't feel good because a a four doesn't want to be in a box and they don't want to feel like they're ordinary or anyone's like them. They really are striving for uniqueness, which actually can have them feel separated at the very core, which creates a longing. Let's talk about the five. The five is the investigator or the observer. They have a desire to understand and master their environment. Their strengths are they're really analytical, they're independent, they're perceptive, and uh, their challenges are they're prone to isolation, and they have a difficulty oftentimes socializing or expressing themselves emotionally. They're like really in their head, and they kind of interact with the world through their thoughts and ideas rather than their embodied presence. Sixes. The loyalist or the questioner, okay? These individuals, um, my buddy Jack, he's often, uh, he's told me that they are like the backbone of society. Uh, they have a desire for security and stability. Their strengths are the responsible, they're loyal and trustworthy. 
but they can be really prone to getting stuck in their head and feeling anxious and feeling indecisive. And they have a difficulty trusting life or others. Yeah. And then uh, we got three more here. Seven. We have Ben, our resident seven. Uh, motivations are your, you have a desire for excitement and novelty. Uh, strengths are they're very optimistic, they're adventurous, and they're open-minded. Uh, the challenges that they can run into are they can be prone to impulsivity and avoidance and difficulty actually being with commitment. Mm. The challenger, <laughs> which is smile. number... Take that smile off your face. <laughs> <laughs> the challenger or number eight, uh, they have a desire for control and autonomy. Uh, their strengths are they're very assertive, they're confident, and they're protective. Uh, the challenges that they can run into is they can be prone to aggression or confrontation, and they have a difficulty with being vulnerable and expressing themselves emotionally. And then finally, number nine, the peacemaker. They have a desire for harmony and unity. Their strengths are they can be calm, they can be agreeable, they can be empathetic. Uh, they can see all perspectives, too. They, they sit at the top of the Enneagram, and they have a really amazing ability to see things objectively because they're able to actually self-forget, right? They're able to move their self out of the way. But the double-edged sword of that is that they can end up having a really hard time asserting themselves because they're not in contact with themselves. So they can be prone to passivity and indecisiveness. Mm, interesting. And kind of like not getting what they, what they want because they're not in touch with what they want? That's it, man. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's really interesting. So, cause so you can, maybe the listeners now can kind of get a sense for what Paige was talking about earlier with this, like, how do we get into this thing? So, um, what, what landed for you or what resonated? What did you think? And then the question, which one do you think challenged you the most, which, uh, which, um, irritated you the most when you heard maybe the challenge or the dark side of it? Mm. <clears throat> I, uh, in reading through mine and just, uh, as, as far, in terms of practicality for this stuff, I think it's really useful because we didn't really talk about this, but I, I mean, we, we kind of danced around it, but as far as practicality for this tool, I think using it as kind of a reminder of how you tend to fall into unconsciousness. Mm. So if you keep your, your type in front of you or in front of you, proverbially speaking, right on, on mind in front of you, um, I think you can start to notice where these things show up in your reality and you start to show up as this like ego or this personality or this, you, you start to fall into this trance where you're taking action from this place. Is that, would that be fair to say Clayton? Yeah. That's a great way of uh, like orienting towards your number is starting to notice, you know, when is it your, when is your essence online versus when are you operating from your, your ego? Right. And that can be a real nominalization. What does it mean? You know, operating from ego, does that mean it's that I'm just specifically trying to look good? Right. Okay. Well, that might be one vector of it, but it could be like for, I'll, I'll give an example for myself, right? Um, the looking good piece is absolutely there for the three. It's part of the three trance, right? It, it's about around performance. It's around image. Um, and it, what I might notice is if I'm really being a stickler with myself around like how something is like the presentation of something or around um, whether or not uh, I am achieving my uh, the result that I want. Right. Being the best in some ways like that's me entrenched in my trance and that can be a real prison. That can, that can stop me from really being authentic. It can stop me from being vulnerable. It can stop me from actually 
opening up maybe the messiness of my life and really allowing like the world to come into contact with me. There can be like a kind of a buttoned up professionalism or polish that that really can get in the way of relationship and may get in the way of uh, my my essence being put forth. Yeah, that's great. I, I'm, I'm glad you made it personal, but also um, I, I think it's really useful to kind of I, I want to parse this out because ego, we have this term ego and I think people use it as what you were saying, like being seen as being awesome or whatever. Um, but that's not, I think that's not everyone's ego. I think ego is kind of like the, the part, the structures that come into place to keep us safe in the world, whatever, whatever, like kind of pattern of operation we've found to kind of like keep us included and keep the physical body alive, I think is where like ego consciousness comes from. And I think this is like the, the game that we play as humans because, you know, Personally, I believe we're like a spiritual entity. There's only one of us here, and and we take these different avatars or characters to kind of um, to kind of enjoy the game, so to speak. But that ego is the character that you're playing. It's the, it's the uh, it's the body. It's the physical continuation of this being that I can point to, that I can touch in reality. Mm-hmm. And so we've come up with different ways to. Um, I think what the enneagram is is a way of talking about the different ways that we come up with to navigate reality such that we get to keep the body alive. So that means inclusion. That means, uh, yes, getting food and shelter and all those things. And it means, uh, like the emotional stability to make sure that we get to like maybe pass on our genes or whatever, but it's like the, the part that keeps the body together, corporal, corporeal. Hmm. And so when we're talking about recognizing your ego, it's like, what are the strategies that you're using to believe like that you're believing are keeping you alive? Yeah. Essentially. Right. Yeah. So like, and, with the and seven, like you said, also belonging, right? Yeah, that exactly. Allow you to feel like you belong to your family of origin and also that you can maintain uh, a heartbeat. And it might not be logical, right? Like you, we might be able to break this down logically. And this is where coaching is so great. It's like we get to question the beliefs that are antiquated running within us. Right. But they were developed at a very young age for a very specific purpose. And they really mm-hmm. made sense back then. Yeah. Like I hear this and, I, you know, just to do a little bit of like personal because the seven is uh, is that like enthusiast and it's like, oh, everything all the time going and having all the experiences. Right. Which can be fun. And it certainly has contributed a lot of value to my life in the sense of, um, you know, I get to develop a lot of mastery and a lot of, you know, skills and abilities in the world because I'm always like chasing experience. The, the downside is that that or the sort of the ego, the way that that shows up from the ego side is like the sense that there's never enough. Mm. Or that I'm never going to really be in the right place at the right time to capitalize on the thing that is the the thing that will keep me alive, that will get that will give me the resources that I need to keep living in the world, right? And I think that that's like one example of how this kind of shows up in the world. Just to kind of, I love that. Yeah, nice noticing. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. So, uh, where, where should we go from here? I, I, like, I'm. I'm my sense is that almost like there's so many, so deep, there's so many things to talk about. My sense is that maybe we could, um, give people a, a place to go take the test. Like how would they find out who they are? Yeah. Um, and then also what to do once you get your results, what, what would you Clayton? Where would you, all right. So I've got my results. It says I'm a, a seven with an eight wing. What do I do now with that? Where would it, where right. would you start to kind of use it? Yeah. And so Perhaps just before we go there with kind of directing towards like resources, I want to just uh, underline something that you said too, which is 
you know, you're pointing out something I think that is really necessary here, which is you're also seeing how we could say this personality armoring of like the seven, right? Which is kind of going out into the world and having experience. You're seeing, you're also in contact with the light side of it, right? So this isn't about noticing the personality armoring and saying, holy crap, this has just been limiting my life forever. And now I got to get rid of it because the way for me to be is in my, uh, in my essence at all times, right? Mm -hmm. It's, there's a, there's a difference between wearing your Enneagram number as an identity and thinking, this is who I am. And I'm this way because I'm a three or this I'm this way because I'm a seven or a two versus saying there's an, there's articles of clothing that I've put on that are representative of that number. And these clothes, this clothing, um, may limit me in certain experiences of aliveness, intimacy, self-expression, but they've served a really beautiful purpose and they can, will continue to serve a purpose just like in your life, like this kind of, uh, voracious, um, like a uh, desire for experience and, you know, your positivity. I mean, it's, it's absolutely infectious and I'm sure that it really helps people in your coaching practice, uh, see possibility that they might not otherwise see just like page working with somebody, they might feel really a, attuned to that page is just really able to pick up on the needs that people are having and maybe speak something in the space that the person wasn't even in contact with that they needed. And so these are like the real beautiful gifts of these personality trances. So it's not about shattering them and leaving them behind so that we're like a turtle without a shell. It's about recognizing that it's a shell and that when we start to bump up against the shadow of it, how can we sidestep it? And how can we start to look deeper into like, who are we really? How would our essence show up? How can we use the number versus the number using us? Mm, so that. I just wanted to really make that point clear because I think that was great that you talked about the, the benefits of the number as well, the ways it served you. Mm -hmm. It's really cool, actually, the way that they talk about it. And, I, and so the, I'm referencing a book, Understanding the Enneagram, which I think is a really useful primer. It's, it's big and it's well-worn. I got coffee stains on it and all that. Nice. But um, the interesting thing about that is that there is like, you know, you have your sin and your virtue that mm. they talk about. Like th there's almost like this sort of shadow side that you show up with with this thing and that you can also integrate it and have it be like, so, you know, scarcity or, or gluttony is like the sin basically. So like for, for seven. For seven. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, so as a seven, I'm like, oh, wait, more, 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 more experiences. But then when it's, when it's really integrated, I'm very um, sort of in touch with my sort of highest version. I think it's mm. gratitude. It's like, oh, look at all of the amazing things that life has to offer mm. and that, that I get to experience and that show up in the world. And so there, there's like, there's like both. And I think that it can be, um, it's useful what you're saying, this like reminder that yes, it's armor and sometimes armor gets in our way, but also armor protects us from things in the world. And there are things that it's really useful for that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool. Any other questions before we do some resources? Yeah, Paige, how th how's this all landing with you? Um, I Yeah, I mean, it's all making sense. Um, so the light side and the dark side, the kind of like path, personality armoring and then disentangling. Uh, I guess the distinction between like the armoring when it's maladaptive versus when it's like working well, when it's doing mm. the thing that it's meant to do and, and, mm. and not keeping you from things that you desire to have in the world. And just yeah. like keeping that in mind as a distinction that they're not inherently like maladaptive or bad. Right. 
just thinking about like how they're being used and how effective that is for getting you the experience you want in life. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, to that point, the kind of maladaptive versus it being useful, I think really has to do with like um, noticing where you go when you're stressed out. Right. Because when you're when you're stressed out, a two is going to go to a different spot than than a seven versus a three. Right. There might be a way in which, uh, you know, for myself, like I might go into like paralysis because I, 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 I don't know the right action. I might go into a place of feeling like a failure. I might go into a place of um, isolating and like not even trying Um you know, a, a two might go into like where it, there's like an external focus of just uh, you know, really trying to figure out um, what people are uh, like needing versus kind of getting into like what you need. Um, and mm-hmm. also a two can slip into like an eight, which which actually ends up looking like where you could get aggressive and you can get kind of really rigid and almost like bullying um, if your attempts at connecting or your attempts at giving aren't actually being met. And so just understanding kind of where we go when we're stressed out, it, it, how we get more entrenched in the in the ego, that's that's a real uh, beautiful piece about this system is that we can say, okay, got it. I'm going to take a couple deep breaths and just take a step back for a moment and notice that there's a mechanism that's running right now that is going to like limit my capacity to show up resourceful right now in whatever challenge that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right on yeah. Um, and I would, I think that's, I think it's fair to say that that is like one of the most useful things about this is mm. to, to have something almost external to you that you can read about, that you can see listed out on paper that can help you to remember that you are not the pattern that you're running, that you are not the armor. Yeah. Cause, cause we can, we can think that we're the armor itself. And that is, I think, where we make a mistake or where we make a thought error, where we start to fall ever deeper into the trance is when we start to identify with that armor rather than the armor just being something that we're using. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So um, do you like the the RHETI? Is that your preferred? Yeah, that's what I send clients when I'm working with them. Yeah, for yeah. sure. There's also a free one, too, uh, that can just get you started. It's at eclecticenergies.com. Okay. And, um, you know, they're going to, you're going to discover as you dive into it, there's, uh, Enneagram wings. So, you know, you, I'm, I'm a three, four and, uh, the wing is, you know, you're either, you either kind of move towards one of the numbers next to the number, right? So if you're a nine, you might be an eight wing or a one wing. If you're a seven, you might be an eight or a six. Um, and it, that influences the person. It, it adds a personality. It adds another dimension to, uh, the variance of a seven, um, and then there's like also um, instinctual variants, which are social, sexual and self prez So now we're adding another layer on top of things that really can hone stuff in. But uh, so just as you dive into it, there's no need to be intimidated by it. There's so much value in just getting your number. And then there's just uh, rabbit holes that you can really go down to get more and more nuanced. Yeah, seriously, just just look at your number and pick one thing to when you're reading it, that is interesting for you to become aware of or something like that. And, yeah. and then another thing and then another thing, cause it's so deep. It really is like kind of infinite in how this kind of works because the numbers all interrelate to each other and your, your networks and all that stuff. So, yeah. um, don't get overwhelmed. Uh, look at your number. How, what would, what would you do actually Clayton? If somebody, so you get your results and, and it says, yeah. all right, I'm seven with an eight wing. 
now what do I do with that? Where, where would you start? Have somebody start? Yeah, just start reading the description, right? And actually, you can go right into Google and just type in, you know, what, what are some uh, ways that I can uh, evolve as a seven, right? Or go into ChatGPT and type that. <laughs> and you'll be able to have a whole list of things that, that will come up around that. Um, so, you know, you, this is a diagnostic tool. Um, and, and something I just want to mention, too, that we did in the beginning, I don't know if uh, you guys are aware of this, but the Enneagram uh, dates back, like the, the modern version of it is this century, this last century. Uh, but the, the Enneagram and uh, these, these different uh, numbers and the, the setup of it goes back thousands of years. There's, there's, rem, there's a evidence of it existing in ancient Egypt as well as in classical Greece. And so this is an incredibly old tool that has been resurrected and it had ties to spiritual, uh, spiritual, spiritual practices, religion. Uh, and so this is not something that just got developed by some individual within the last hundred years. I mean, this has got some really deep roots, um, that, and I, and I say that because I know that some people have a distrust of some of this modern personality typing systems, uh, and just understanding the depth of it can also create even more intrigue and uh, a desire to dive into the deep end. It totally. And also use what works and discard the rest. But it yeah. really is interesting to like, I'm amazed when I, I was just like looking at my type before we uh, got on today. And I'm just like, continually amazed. It's like, God, it nails me. It really like, yeah, it seems like it just like really sees me, you know, I'm like even thinking in the last few days, how I'm like showing up in my trance. And it's like, wow, God, it's like, mm. just like really profound stuff. Totally, man. You yeah, know? same. Thank you all so much for having this conversation. I really appreciate, I think this is really useful for people as a tool for learning about yourself, you know, know thyself, grow thyself, show thyself. That's kind of like the way that we operate here. So, um, if, if you want to learn more, there's plenty of resources out there. Clayton, where would you go to learn more? Is there a preferred resource? Um, there's a book that I really love. It's called the complete Enneagram by Patrice Chestnut. Um, I think that one is one of the more hard hitting books that, uh, gives you a nice swift, kick in the gut, um, nice. about your type. Yeah. And I, and I've read a couple of them and that one really stands out to me. So that could be a great place to start. Awesome. So we'll put those in the show notes. Um, and, uh, really appreciate you guys showing up and having a conversation today. Thanks for, uh, br bringing your trances to my trance and we all get to <laughs> play together. Awesome. All right, everyone. Uh, love your freedom. Thanks. Love your life. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.